This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. The vaccines could be helping us get back to normal slowly, but there's growing concern about what's happening in Brazil. Variants there taking hold. Scientists say it's more contagious. It's stressing the healthcare system there, leading to more deaths. We'll get into what this means for the rest of the world. Have you seen strange people lurking around your local drugstore? If you have, they're probably vaccine hunters. We'll explain. It's like the old cartoon where they open up the trench coat and it's all yeah. those things in there. <laughs> yes, strange people. We'll also look into vaccine alarmism. People hearing so many conflicting messages, they might just say, no, I'm not going to take the thing. More and more movie theaters opening up across the country. They are going to open soon in Southern California, for example. But will people go? We start with the Brazil variant. Dr. Lee Riley, Division Head of Infectious Diseases, Vaccinology, UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. So, doctor, this one seems to be pretty nasty. It has the habit of reinfecting people. That's correct. So, um, yeah, this is a little worrisome. Um, this is a variant that, uh, that's been labeled P1. And uh, this was uh, first recognized uh, in late December, early January in Manaus, Brazil. Manaus is the largest city in the uh, state of Amazonas. It's in the Amazon. And uh, what's uh, uh, really concerning about this variant is that it seems to be, as you said, uh, infecting people uh, who had previous infection. And, and so uh, that's sort of contrary to what uh, everybody's thought about how this uh, coronavirus uh, behaves. You know, if you're infected, you should become immune uh, for a period of time. But uh, the fact that uh, 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 this new variant is causing infections, uh, symptomatic disease in people who have been previously infected is really a concern. Um, back in, so in July last year, they had this first big surge in Manaus. And, and so later around October, a group of investigators um, tested uh, this blood from the blood banks that they had. And 76% of the, of the blood uh, actually contained antibody uh, against the coronavirus. So that means a huge proportion of the city got infected. And, and and yet uh, there was no such thing as herd immunity established. And so if this is true, then, you know, that's uh, something that we here also need to start uh, paying attention to. Would this be something that also could evade the vaccine? The question being, does the immunity of vaccine give you, is it better than what you would get if you just got COVID on your own? Right. So there is some evidence that the vaccine that we now have may be able to uh, neutralize this variant uh, to some degree, but not at the level that we've seen with the, the earlier uh, strains of the virus. And so, so if that's true, then, you know, uh, there's some breathing room that we may be able to uh, have. But, you know, as we saw with the original uh, strain that started in Wuhan, you know, it just really took off. And, and um, uh, if we don't uh, really start vaccinating as many people as we can, this variant could continue to mutate to a point where it may not be neutralizable by the vaccine. So that's the concern. It's a battle. It's a race between uh, how quickly we can get as many people vaccinated uh, versus how quickly this uh, variant uh, spreads. Now, this variant, this P1, uh, as I understand it, has been found to a limited degree uh, here in the United States. Is it 
necessarily the case that because it is uh, apparently starting to run rampant in Brazil, it will do so here too? Uh, no, so it's not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily that, that that would happen. You know, this is all contingent on how uh, rigorous uh, the, uh, the people and uh, adhere to the uh, social distancing and uh, masking and all of the uh, mitigation efforts that uh, you know that they've been all uh, told to do. If we they don't, if people don't uh, do that, yes, then it could become the way uh, um, it's going on right now in uh, Brazil. And so we really need to make sure that even if we get the vaccine, we need to really continue to wear a mask uh, and uh, uh, maintain social distancing. Dr. Lee Riley, Division Head, Infectious Diseases, Vaccinology, UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. More and more people are hanging out now at the local drugstore. They're not up to anything sketchy. They're looking for the COVID vaccine. Vaccine hunters, vaccine chasers, they wait around to see if there's an extra dose that might be available. Maura Caldwell, founder of the Minneapolis Vaccine Hunters Facebook group. So Maura, how can I go on the hunt? Well, first and foremost, I'll say that my group has sort of organically turned into a group that's helping seniors and eligible people navigate this whole system and find appointments because that was proving hard even if they were completely eligible. However, um, this group, which has now turned into almost 22,000 people, um, we post. there are people posting all of the time. So yesterday we had somebody post that at a pharmacy at a Walmart in southern Minnesota, there was, you know, many extra doses from people who were missing appointments and they were interested in taking anyone who could come in. So it's uncommon that they are taking people outside of the eligibility groups here in Minnesota, but it does happen. And this Facebook group is a place where you will see that up to the date, like minute by minute, play by play of what pharmacies are doing. We have pharmacy managers who are posting when they find things, or a person who is a member of the group might be at a pharmacy and see that they're vaccinating not only the senior, but their daughter who came with them, who's under the age range. And then they will post on the group, hey, they have extra doses or they're vaccinating, you know, caregivers or friends or people who come with people for appointments. So you're able to sort of see that information in real time and then get there. Now, uh, here in, in California, you need a uh, an advanced degree to be able to figure out how to get vaccines. Uh, it's, it's that way here, too. That's okay. exactly what's going like on. Like a really it's smart insane. grandkid, right, yeah. to do this yeah. for you. No, that's exactly what it is. So I, I started this group about a month ago after my parents uh, I told my parents about extra doses at a hospital and got them vaccinated. I felt like I won the lottery and I wanted to pay that forward and find out, help other people find these uh, elusive vaccines. I realized there were 90-year-olds in my neighborhood who weren't able to find an appointment, and I wanted to change that. So this group is, I mean, we are reaching out and finding seniors who don't have Facebook and who aren't able to navigate the system by the, themselves. Maybe they don't have that smart grandkid who's willing to spend some time on it. And we are finding vaccine appointments for them. So it's just become this huge community of people helping each other. And it's nothing but positive goodness and community of people who've already gotten their vaccines now helping book appointments for other seniors. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Let's separate the groups out for a second. And, and obviously, um, shame on everyone for not being able to get the 90-year-olds vaccines in a much easier fashion. Uh, right? We should have figured that out. So let's put them aside for a second, and let's talk about the people who, who we, as mentioned, we've all seen who are younger, and they get the extra dose because they've waited around at the pharmacy, or they got in line, they said, hey, is there anything left over? And they go bad, right? You have to give them to someone. So right. how do you view that when, when there's arguments? You know, okay, if you throw it away and stick to the list, well, technically you're supposed to stick to the list, but letting that go to waste also bad you got to put it in an arm right yeah so i will say here it's almost 
unheard of for it to, I mean, I haven't heard of it being thrown out. So it's, they're able to find people. Um, some of the large stores, Sam's Club, Walmart, are saying that they're vaccinating employees at the end of the night if they can't find somebody over 65, which is our limit here. Um, and so I support that. They're frontline workers. They're working. They've been working this entire time. Um, they also have wait lists of seniors and high-risk individuals in the areas that can come at a moment's notice. So if they realize a couple people missed appointments, then they can call people in the middle of the afternoon and say, can you get here by the end of our shift? And people will come in. I personally think having a person who is out of the eligible categories get a dose that would otherwise go bad is a great thing. It still helps get us to herd immunity and will help those people who are more vulnerable. But I know that right now they're not having trouble finding an eligible arm to put the vaccine in. Laura Caldwell, founder of the Minneapolis Vaccine Hunter Facebook group, helping to track down those extra doses. Excitement is growing about the vaccines and the prospect of returning to normal, but people are reading stories about variants and of someone testing positive after getting vaccinated. And then they think, why should I have to wear a mask and socially distance once I've had my shot? They're confused. KYW's Matt Leon talks to Dr. Neil Goldstein, professor of epidemiology at Drexel University, about vaccine alarmism. I think the short answer is that a lot of scientists and a lot of people in public health have a certain training and they are trained to be skeptics. So when we go to relay information, whether it's through a scientific publication, presentation, or to a general audience like what we're doing now, we always have at the back of our mind that, yes, this works, but under X, Y, and Z conditions. So we're kind of conditioned this way. It, it happens just through the course of our training and how we go to deliver messages. The downside to this though, is when you start putting all these caveats out there, it calls to question the soundness of your findings. And we have to be unequivocal here to say that these vaccines are, like I said, extraordinarily effective. That's it, without having all these qualifications. Now, if we then get into more of these scientific discussions, that's when like all these nuances and caveats happen. So you walk a very fine line in public health between wanting to be transparent, but at the same time, not wanting to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. And how do you avoid that? Because I think you understand like a public health person wants to say we have to be we have to watch out for this. We have to be. You know, we have to be vigilant and all that, you know, but you could also understand a year in with vaccines on the way. You have some people. Well, I thought the vaccines were it. Why are we worrying about why are we now talking about wearing two masks? I thought that, you know, the vaccines were going to to be the end of this. It's a it's a difficult needle to thread. But I feel like overall and I from messaging to media, we've done a pretty poor job of kind of putting things in perspective. I think the pendulum has swung a little bit too far in that direction of this alarmist mentality. And, uh, you know, maybe one example that can help relate kind of this inherent tension that's very difficult is the idea of smoking cessation laws. And I know, you know, we're talking about vaccination. Why would smoking enter here? But it's a good example to kind of depict this tension we have in public health. The public health message is very broad. Smoking is bad for you. That has been demonstrated for decades now. But you can still have that proverbial uh, Uncle Burns who smokes you know, a pack a day and lives into their 90s. So while the public health messaging at a population level 
is clearly a benefit. You have these anomalies in, in certain cases of people that don't necessarily have any benefit from the public health message or they go against it and, and they do just fine. That's the tension that we live in. But public health is for populations. It's for communities. It's for the greater good. And that's why these messages that we have really need to focus on that without having these kind of like the, these if and buts that apply at an individual level. So in terms of vaccination, you know, that is just these vaccines are incredibly effective. That's the end of that, um, you know, that, that's, that should be the end of the messaging. It, it, to some extent, we've, when I say the pendulum has swung too far in this other direction, when we've had the conversation about, well, I've been vaccinated or I'm going to see people who have been vaccinated, I still should be maintaining distance from them, wearing a mask, wearing two masks and, and so forth. I, I think that is the damaging part of this because if we say that you, you, you know, after getting vaccination, you still need to do these things and people are going to say, well, why do I, why should I get a vaccine in the first place if it's not going to change anything? And that's, you know, if we could kind of dial back a, a little bit to just say you know, the, the message is, get a vaccination so we can return as a society back to having a normal life as quickly as possible. Everybody who's eligible, get vaccinated as soon as you can. Are we doing, and I don't see as, because I think like we hear the news of these variants and it's been like every couple of weeks, I feel like we've, there's been a new one. Are we doing a disservice focusing on these variants? Are they worthy of bringing up in the public discourse because as I understand, this is just life with a virus. Like this is not something, this is not dystopian end of times things that these variants are going to eventually turn us into zombies. And I'm being a little flippant, but sometimes you feel like that's how it was portrayed. But this was fully expected, correct, for something like this? Absolutely. Um, viruses mutate all the time. This is just what happens through natural selection over time. Um, and, and, and so on the one hand, it's scientifically interesting what happens with these over time, whether or not this you know, should be, uh, whether or not it's good fodder for news though, I'm not sure I have the answer to that one. The, the, the question that we you know, ultimately need to understand is do these, uh, do, do these mutations somehow confer a difference in, in, in somebody's immune response? So far the evidence seems to be very encouraging and that is that vaccinations have some protective benefit regardless of what type of coronavirus somebody gets exposed to. Coming up after this short break, if a movie is in the theater but no one sees it, did it really play? Movie theaters are open in some parts of the country but not others. They've been closed in Southern California for about a year now, but that could change soon. So how is Hollywood going to react? Will people go? Will there be movies? Matt Bellany, entertainment attorney, former executive editor of The Hollywood Reporter. So Matthew Warner Brothers at least doing the HBO Max and the theater reopenings. So at least there are going to be some movies to watch. Yeah, I mean, for right now, there are the Warner Brothers movies, which, you know, has been The Little Things, the Denzel Washington movie, Tom and Jerry, a kid's movie that came out this past weekend. But the real test here is going to come in April and May because some of the big guns from the studios are scheduled in May. May 7th is Black Widow, which is a Marvel movie, and that date has not changed. 
And we'll see if by May 7th, there is going to be a critical mass of theaters open and people willing to go out in in droves. But here's where I see a potential uh, problem, uh, because as I understand it, once these theaters open, they will, of course, mandate that people inside the theaters are going to have to wear masks unless they happen to be, I guess, munching on popcorn or sipping on a soda, which is how, as you know, movie theaters really make a lot of their money through the concessions. Uh, and I just have this this feeling there are going to be a lot of people who are going to take about two and a half hours to eat that popcorn. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think it's going to vary greatly by state. I mean, if you see some of these states where the politicians are telling people they don't have to wear masks, they're probably not going to listen when the movie theater tells them to. But in some of these other states, like California, where people are used to wearing masks in public, I bet you're probably going to see a lot more people putting them on and self-policing. I wonder if they just, even though it's going to be a hit, they're already at reduced capacity, so they're not making much money anyways. Do they just say no concessions in order to at least get people in seats and get them used to watching a movie around other people again? So eventually, when things are normal, we'll all go back to the movies. Well, that idea has been floated, and there are a few theaters around the country that have done that. Um, I think the theater chains really resist that because, as you said, that's where they make the bulk of their money, and they really don't want to cut that off. The chains have been hurting so much over the past year. So once theaters open and people start going back to theaters, they really want to be able to capitalize. You know, uh, I, I almost wonder if uh, at some level movie theaters have to now change dramatically. And by that I mean, you know, we went from, uh, you know, a period years and years ago when they, they built these huge, uh, you know, movie palaces and then they shrunk them to these, you know, black boxes. And there have been all kinds of iterations of how to present movies to the public. And I wonder if the aftermath of a pandemic such as the one we've now been through, uh, going through, is going to somehow change the way movie theaters have to present their product to the public. Well, there's already been one big change, which is the exclusive window that movies play in theaters. All of the studios have said that they are going to shrink that window, so it's only about a month or a month and a half between when the movie comes out in theaters and when it's available on various platforms. Now, Warner Brothers has gone a step further and said that all their movies for 2021 are going to be in theaters and on streaming the same day. So that's one big impact of the pandemic already. And I think you're right. I mean, as streaming becomes more popular and movie going becomes less of something that people do often and more of a special occasion or a specialty thing, you're going to see, I think, a clearing out where a lot of these theaters will close. Uh, the ones that don't perform or are not up to the modern standards, they're just going to go out of business. And you're going to see it become a more boutique business where, yes, there will be theaters in most cities, but there won't be as many of them. And hopefully they'll be a little bit nicer with a better experience. How are you liking the movies at home thing? You know, I like it, but I am really hankering to go back to theaters. Once I'm vaccinated, I will have no problem paying my money eating my popcorn, and enjoying a movie in the theater. Matthew Bellany, entertainment attorney, former executive editor of The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, movie popcorn. You see, so who, good. whoever can invent a mask that you can keep on your face and yeah, still eat still popcorn, shovel it in. Yeah, mm -hmm. would make a fortune. <laughs> they would make a fortune. 
Uh, if you had that idea out there, let us know. Yes. Uh, could, uh, we'll invest. <laughs> yeah. When doctors say they want everyone vaccinated, they mean everyone. And by everyone, they mean apes, too. For example, several orangutans at the San Diego Zoo have received an experimental COVID-19 vaccine developed specifically for animals. They marked the first known non-human primates to get the shot. National Geographic says a, an orangutan named Karen, who made history in 1994 as the first ape in the world to have open heart surgery, was among those to get the vaccine. In January, eight gorillas at the zoo became the first great apes in the world to test positive for coronavirus. They are now recovering. Well, Karen is just a medical miracle. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.